Let's go ahead and look at this passage together in Luke 19, picking up in verse 11. If you have your Bibles, you can read along with me. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, because he, that is Jesus, was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that, that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minus and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minus more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minus. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minus. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minus. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. It would continue and remind us that Jesus is going ahead up to Jerusalem. Let's pause and pray. Father God, I do ask for a sense of your care over us as we ask for your faithfulness to work within our hearts. Teach us this morning what we are to learn and what we are to do with it. In the name of Christ, amen. Now, you know the story. You know the context. We were reminded twice as we were looking at this passage that Jesus is on his road to Jerusalem. And to get there, he had to pass through Jericho. And Jericho was just about 15 miles away from Jerusalem's door. But there's an expectation about what was going to happen at Jerusalem. Now, this crowd had gathered, and, and again, you know what has taken place. Jesus, as he was approaching Jericho, there was a blind man who was calling out, asking for mercy. And Jesus stopped and provided that mercy. 
And now maybe one more is added to their entourage as they're going into Jerusalem. And then there's another man, Zacchaeus. And he had to be up on a tree. There were so many people around that he could not see Jesus. What was the excitement in the air? What was the expectation that was going on? So Zacchaeus, come down. Zacchaeus came down. And Jesus said, I'm going to your house today. Grace was poured out to that blind man. And salvation, as we read um, in the text, salvation came to the house of Zacchaeus. Why was Jesus here on earth? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was his purpose. Jesus was on mission. But the crowd wasn't really on that mission. They perceived that God had something else in store for them, and that was their agenda, and they wanted to be faithful to that agenda. But the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So in a short period of time, Jesus would soon, very soon, enter that grand city on what would be known as Palm Sunday. As the crowds continued to press in and form around Jesus, asking for mercy, begging for justice, and shouting, Hosanna! All of this was going on, and they're ready for a new reign in Jerusalem. But their expectations were not accurate. They expected that Jesus was going to rule immediately from a throne in Jerusalem. But instead of ruling from a throne, he received a death sentence from those in power. The crowd expected that Jesus would do great and mighty things in Jerusalem, that he would pick up and take an iron rod of judgment. But instead of an iron rod, he received iron nails in his hands. Jesus told this parable because the expectations of the crowd were not in step with Jesus' plan. Jesus was going to Jerusalem to defeat sin, and then, someday, far into the future, Jesus would return in glorious triumph. What would happen to that time in between Jesus' ascension to heaven and his marvelous, glorious return? Jesus needed those who were with him to remain faithful to God's purposes and plan. Jesus needed his disciples to see the bigger perspective. It's one thing to sit with a sense of expectation that the heaven will be opened up for Jesus to come now and do what we want right now. But the question is, is that always in line with what God is doing? So there is that gap. That gap between the way we think things ought to be and God's plan. But God calls us to be faithful to his plan, not to ours. 
and I'm going to be very honest, that there are many times that my expectations for the way that things ought to be are not always in line with God's plan. And I've joked. I joke with um, people all the time, and I sometimes tell them that you know, I will often give God good advice, but for whatever reason, he seldom takes it. Because, because you see, my plan is not in line with God's plan, at least not all of the time. I worked for a church in California as an associate pastor for a number of years. And I love my job. In a lot of different ways, it, it worked out great. It was in my community. It was for my home church. I loved my pastor and the people that I served. But as time was going on, I felt this burden, this call to go to seminary. And as that decision had to be made, I felt my heart being torn in two. There were many days that I was in agony over the decision. I had three beautiful little girls, a house, a cat. How could I pick up from California and land in the middle of the United States? So even as I wrestled, we decided that it was indeed God's plan. And then when we landed, I would expect that everything would be perfect and go my way. But that wasn't the case. And so I, I can't tell you how many days I cried. I can't tell you how many times at night I labored in prayer saying, why, Jesus, would you do this? I struggled. Is that the way it's supposed to be? If you're following God's plan? Aren't you just supposed to get straight A's and have the money that you need? I landed and I was offered a job at, at a church down the road and in my heart I just couldn't take it. My wife said, yeah, Dean, I don't think that's our church. I said, honey, but they offered me a job. We got we to gotta go there. Uh, mm, things didn't line up. So now I was unemployed in the middle of Missouri just turned down a job because we didn't feel like it was a good fit for my family. I'm taking Greek, and guess what? I'm failing Greek. And yet, I have to say, we were in the middle of God's plan. God was indeed calling me to seminary. I eventually did find another job at a great church down the road, a church with people that I still love. But then God landed me right here. And I'm thankful that I can look back and see how God prepared me along the way. And I'm thankful to be here with you. Because listening to God and his plan sometimes hurts. It sometimes rubs because God is working out the kinks in our own life to allow us to get to the place where we are actually allowing ourselves to be faithful to what God has in store us, in stored for us. So what is this parable all about? What is it really trying to teach us? And there's a lot that we can extract from it, but I'd like to just emphasize right now that Jesus wants to say to carry on faithfully with his work until he returns. Let's look again at 
verse 12 and 13. Jesus said, A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. So the ruler left, and then while he was gone, there was an expectation that something was going to take place. And so what did the ruler do? He called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minus and said to them, Engage in business until I come. So he left, but he left and still gave them direction as to what was to take place. In this parable, each servant was given one mina, which was a Greek silver coin equal to about 100 days' wages. And they were to engage in business until the nobleman returned. Oddly, very similar, while Jesus is away in heaven... He gives his servants gifts to carry on his work until he returns. And as we wait for Jesus' return, we are to carry on with the work of his kingdom. But what exactly does this mina in the parable represent? And right here is where I am really uh, would like to just get to the point and just tell you exactly what mina means. Right? Well, Q&A Sunday is next Sunday, and we can ask Jordan next Sunday, and hopefully he will tell us. I would like to uh, know myself. Commentaries and pastors don't all agree with what minus represents. In fact, I really don't know if it's minus or mina. It can be either one. One person says that the minus represents the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we must be faithful to tell people about our Lord and Savior. That'll preach. That's good. Another says that it is about spiritual gifts, that we need to be faithful to use our spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. I can see that. That makes sense. Another says that minus is actually about money. Well, right? That makes sense. That we need to be good stewards of our money. But the problem is, how does this parable work for everyone? And what was Jesus' intentions? How was Jesus going to work on the hearts and the minds of the crowd? What was he deliberately teaching them in that time? The context of this text was first for the hearers that were standing outside the doors of Jerusalem. Though they expected something immediate to happen, Jesus knew that it was going to take a while. My issue is that, again, what do you say to the seminary student that really doesn't have money for food? There was a time when I was in seminary, I met one of my fellow students who did not have money for food. So how does that work, this parable? How does this parable work for her? What do you say to the dad who has to stay home to care for his daughter? How is he working out the gospel of Jesus Christ? What do you say to the person who has 
Lou Gehrig's disease. And maybe over the last 30 years, their gift, their spiritual gift was serving. Now their arms and legs do not work and their ability to serve is no longer valid. How are we supposed to be faithful with minus? As I have been reflecting on this passage this week, I've been really thankful for Jordan's wisdoms as he's um, shared with us that we can think in broader categories of time, of talent, and treasure. And as we think about being faithful to God's plan, I think it encompasses all of those things. But we also have to think about seasons. We also have to think about individual call. So here is where I get to put my plug in for children's ministry in the back. I want everyone in here to be available to serve our kids in the back. And if you think it's beyond you, I would like to talk to you. Serving with, in the back with our children is a unique ministry and call. It will take you out of your comfort zone. And if you think you know exactly what you're going to do, what you're going to say, I've got news for you because there is a five-year-old that has a different agenda and you have to be flexible in the moment. I would like to ask you to serve in the back. But even as I lay out that request, I recognize there are seasons of life that might restrict our ability to serve. I'm stopping because um, Christy and Ed come to my mind. They have been serving faithfully in the back for a long period of time. And on Sundays when I would be asked to um, lead and sing, but Christy was there, I would smile a little bit more on the inside because she has a beautiful voice. And when Ed would bring in his guitar, it would make me step a little quicker in the morning because I would sing along with them and the kids would not have to put up with my, with my crackly voice. But I don't know what it looks like for them in this season of life. And I guess in some ways that's informing my prayers right now. What does it mean to be faithful to God's plan? How do we put the gospel to work in our lives? And what return are we making on Christ's investment in us? What profit will we have to show when Christ returns? Philip Ryken um, suggests that we put the gospel to work in our lives in this way. We do it by growing in our own Christian life through repentance, prayer, and daily dependence upon the Holy Spirit. We do it by trusting God to meet our daily needs and guide our daily decisions. We also put the gospel to work by serving people in need, showing the love and mercy of Christ to people who are lonely, sick, homeless, grieving, and afraid. Then we put the gospel to work by loving our families with the love of Jesus and sharing our faith with our friends. 
And we put the gospel to work by making a personal investment in missionary work, by praying, giving, sending, and going to the nations with the good news about Jesus Christ. Furthermore, we put the gospel to work by carrying out our regular calling in a way that shows the supremacy of Christ. The worker can do this in his labor, the professor with his scholarship, the educator with her teaching, the lawyer with his justice, the doctor with her medicine, and the artist with her craft. As long as it is done with the intention of bringing glory to God, anything and everything that we do is an investment in the kingdom of God. Jesus is coming soon. Our call is to be busy with the plan of Christ. Being faithful will look different for everyone, but we're called to be faithful to Christ's plan. But you say to me, well, Dean, I really don't have that much in resources. I can't do that much. Or we compare ourselves to others. You know, it's not really my calling. I can't sing like him or her. I can't do that. In fact, this morning, um, I mentioned uh, to our YMCA worker in the back, Danae, uh, we have a little relationship, and, and I think of her as, as somewhat of a friend. She said, wow, you're preaching. You were probably a really good public speaker when you were a kid. And what comes to my mind? Winston Churchill. What do I want to say in that moment? No. What comes to my mind when I think about great preachers? Brian Chapel. Am I called to compare myself to Brian Chapel? No. My calling is not to be faithful to Brian Chapel's calling. My calling is to be faithful to the resources and the gifts and the things that God has given to me and to use them to the best of, of my abilities, to the best that I can. That's being faithful to God's plan. I have a friend who has an old truck. It's just a half ton. It's an old truck. Should we just say that because he has an old truck, a half ton, that he can no longer serve? But he loves caring for others. If there's a widow that needs stuff hauled, cleaned up out of her yard, he loves to serve others. He's using his resources. I have another friend who's a retired laborer and painter. When I used to live near, near him, he would occasionally call me and say, hey, Dean, is there a little project that I can do around church? And he would come in, and he would do a little cleaning at church. He would do a little painting. He was a servant, and he loved to exercise his gifts. Little things matter to God when you're faithful. Do you remember the widow's gift? Do you? It's in the same book. You just turn the page over. In chapter 21, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And then he saw a poor widow 
who put in two small copper coins. And Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. And God was delighted. If you tell me that you have not been given much to give to others, I want to tell you that you have an identity problem. Your identity is not made up in what you have received from God. You are not called to compare what you have to what other people have. You have not been called to compare your intellect, your checking account, your 401k, your car, or anything else to someone else, and certainly not within the body of Christ. To do so denies the supremacy of Christ and his ability to work in the lives of others. You've been called to be faithful with what you have. If you come to me and tell me that someone else is not using their minus correctly, I'll tell you that you have an issue of pride. The church loves to do this, and I don't know why, but I'm guilty of it too. The church will say, um, pastor or you know, whoever, I think that they need to be doing this. Or don't you think that so-and-so should be doing that? Wait a second, back up the train. That's not your call. The Lord is at work in the lives of everyone. And sometimes he allows us to make wrong decisions. Why is it that God will not always take my advice and have things go the way I want? Because he is at work. Mistakes will happen. But God's grace is still there. And God is able to overcome the problems of this world and make all things work together for his good. So you say that you don't have much. You say it's hard to get around and serve. You don't have time for things. Well, maybe it's time that we make time. Maybe it's time that we look at our priorities and look at our schedule and make sure that what we want is really in line with God's plan. Because being faithful to my 401k is not the same thing as being faithful to God's plan. And I'm not speaking against 401ks. I'm not. I'm saying we need to be in prayer and be mindful about what God's plan is. It's not an easy road. It's not. And sometimes being sensitive to what God might have us do will really reveal our own weakness. Did you ever think about that? So I'm going to get back again and talk about the opportunities to serve in the back because here's why. You're going to say, well, I'm not very good at teaching kids. I'm not very good at holding babies in the nursery. I didn't ask you to be very good. I asked you to be faithful. (laughs) Isn't that what this text says? 
And I'm going to further say, if you're weak, praise be to God. Because as Paul reminds us, when you are weak, he is made strong. Boast in your weakness. If I say, will you do something? Or if Pastor Jordan says, would you preach on a Sunday morning? And you feel this sense of tension inside, like, I don't know about that. That's all right. Walk in it and allow those weaknesses to come forward. Because why? It's not for your glory. It's not your identity. But God is going to work on something in you. Why? For his glory and for his kingdom. This is an incredible passage. The opportunity that's laid out here for us. But there's sayings about it that I am still confused about. And things in it that makes me feel a little uncomfortable. I'm really not comfortable with thinking of Jesus as the nobleman. But as I was preparing the sermon, I couldn't get away from that. And because there were commentators that went in that direction... I, you know, I only had a week. I went with it, and that's it. But there were other things that made me uncomfortable, too. Let's look back again to verse 15. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minus more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. I wasn't totally comfortable with that. Are you? I'm okay with being told what to do, but I'm not quite okay with thinking that I'm going to get something out of it. I'm not okay with really thinking that maybe someday um, Christ is going to give me a crown. I'd rather just stay humble and assume that I'm just doing everything out of the goodness within me, and that's all good, and well, who are you to say that Christ may not reward you someday. Could it be that Christ will reward you? What if it's his plan to reward you someday? At the day of judgment, there will be people that will come before Christ. At this point, I'm still not fully comfortable to assume that I would be rewarded for anything but I think I have to look closer at Paul, at Paul's writings, and really say, is it my agenda or is it the agenda of God that someday we might receive some sort of reward for being faithful? I don't know how to leave you with that, but I hope it stirs up something within you that says, I'm willing to leave my agenda alone and willing to receive whatever the Lord would have for me. If it's something that's very small or something very great 
or something that shows my weakness, I need to be willing to receive that. Christ calls us to be faithful, not to our plan, but to his. And that means whatever he puts in our hands is also not ours, but his. To him be the glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize how great our need is and the chasm that is between us and you, between our agenda and yours. So I pray that even in this moment, we would become less and you would become more. Teach us what it is to be faithful to your will in all things, even if it means that we become less or if it means that we become something that we don't expect. Lord Jesus, we need you. Thank you for being the faithful one. Amen.